0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guests this week are Sean Greenblow and Elliot Medalia. They are managing director and head of strategy at a business called Booty, B-O-O-D-Y, a sustainable clothing brand that creates everyday essentials from eco-friendly organic bamboo. They're rejecting the notion of fast fashion and committing to building a wardrobe of quality, sustainable basics, and as otherwise known as a new movement, it's called slow fashion. Now, Sean and Elliot have an interesting story. They've been best friends since they were kids, and their dads went into business together in 2012, starting the brand called Booty. Sean's dad ran a clothing brand prior to that, and Elliot's dad was a pharmacist. Together, they saw an opportunity to sell unconventional products, underwear and socks made out of bamboo. So they decided to create a product that was a perfect fit for the health-conscious and environmentally-minded customer. Sean and Elliot came into the business and used the groundwork that their dads put in place, and they combined their own growth mindset, their great entrepreneurship, their love of technology, and hunger to change the world for better, to develop the Booty brand even further. It's now a family business run by two fathers and two sons. It's sold in 1,000 retailers across Australia. It's sold online and in 17 countries around the world. I'm gonna ask Sean Elliott about how their experience in health and wellness combined with their passion for the environment, inspire them to create a sustainable product. What is a sustainable product? And how Booty uses fabrics, design and craft to deliver goods and products that are bypassing trends and committing to sustainability and how do they ride this slow fashion movement and how has it affected their business, especially coming out of COVID. So let's get into it. Sean and Elliot, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us here. Okay, so uh, Booty, I mean, is it booty.com.au? What is it? Booty.com.au. B-O-O-D-Y. Well, what does that mean? Like, uh, where where does that (laughs) name come from?
2: (laughs) You got to ask our dads that one. Um, it's a bit cheeky, no pun intended, but, uh, it's a kind of a, 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 at the beginning was a mix between bum and bamboo and right. the, yeah, so it's a, okay. booty. Uh,
1: as funny, as in funny. booty. Yeah, yeah. Booty, booty. I, I get it. Okay. But, but we often have that issue. It's, uh, it's not, it's not booty. We, uh, we, we often get confused. People saying, well, what are you guys running over there? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun recruitment tool. That's for
2: sure. So Sean, what's your background? Yeah, no, uh, I, uh, took a, Great year off after school. Um, went into commerce and business. Uh, did a commerce degree at Sydney Uni and then an MBA over at UNSW. Went down the corporate route because that was uh, where I was meant to be. And uh, it was the the day I saw the guy next to me with a rear view mirror on his computer, and I asked him what's that for, and he said, "So people can't, so I can see when people are coming." That I realized that it wasn't for me. Um, I moved over to technology. Um, had a startup for a couple of years and then went into the, the family business.
1: What's your background, Elliot? Yeah, so similar to Sean, um, after school, went and studied uh, commerce, did finance and accounting. I knew that neither of those paths in their raw form were for me. Um, I joined uh, a, a, a German venture capital company that was launching many startups in Australia at the time and uh, ended up being one of the first employees at the theiconic.com.au, which is um, obviously now Australia's largest online fashion store. Um, after a bit of time there, I went over to New York for six years, did some Um, consulting before getting the itch to go back into e-commerce and startups and joined a company there that uh, was called Jet.com that was acquired by Walmart and then spent two years helping Walmart build their their e-commerce side of the business before uh, getting tapped on the shoulder to come back and and help the guys with the family business.
0: So I guess what you're saying is that you're both your dad's? Correct,
2: yeah. So both of your dads started this business off. That's right. Take yeah. me back. Take me back to well, when did it start and why did they start? What's the deal? No worries. Uh, 2012, they founded the business. Uh, my old man has an apparel background, so 30-plus years in the apparel industry, ran a big uh, clothing company, white-labeled to a lot of the big retailers here in Australia, Sports Girl, et cetera. What does that
0: mean, white-labeled to the big uh, So it
2: started off with some retail stores, actually. Um, he had one in Chatswood, one in Surrey Hills Sports Stores. Um, rode the sports store wave and then started manufacturing his sports own. Sports
0: stores mean sportswear. Yeah.
2: yeah. So he, back in the Kylie Minogue uh, bodysuit days, oh, yeah. um, he was one of the first to bring those bodysuits into into Australia actually. And then what he did was he started actually making them himself.
1: And what where, he realized.
2: Where did he make them? Here in Australia. Here in- This is before everything moved over to Asia. Right. Um, so he, uh, he was making these clothes for his own stores and realized there was a big opportunity. So-
0: right. So your, your dad's background. Um, is that uh, he was a, a clothing manufacturer, but yep. he also understood fashion and uh, those sorts of things.
2: Yeah. He was actually in a, he studied economics, South African, um, moved over immigrant with absolutely nothing. Mum and dad got married, moved over a week later, no family, one set of friends, um, and got an internship at Maya. Um, oh yeah. And that was his foray. How old's your dad have interest? Dad's uh, just past 60.
0: And you guys? So old you are in your thirties? Yeah. I'm- yeah. Thirty four, thirty two. 34, 32, 34 and thirty two. Okay. Yeah. And um uh, so you saw your dad working in this uh rate industry. I mean he's otherwise known as a schmutter.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Alexandria, where all the schmutters were. I spent my childhood running around the, you know, warehouse floor, there were garment designers, the whole deal. Um when the wave over to China started manufacturing wave over to China, he moved everything over there. Um, built that company into quite a big company and and you asked what white label. Yeah, work. what Basically, is it what does it mean? What they ended up doing was manufacturing for a lot of um the big retailers as if it was their own. So they got orders from SportsGirl, for example, for thousands and thousands of units. They'd make the units and SportsGirl would brand them as their own.
0: Right, okay. So he 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 was like a manufacturing wholesaler. Yeah. And he'd sell to SportsGirl their label. That's exactly so SportsGirl right. would send some sort of uh, person somebody one of the designers overseas, they'd pick up whatever's the latest in America or Japan or wherever Europe. They'd buy a couple of samples, they'd bring it back to Australia, they'd all sit around a room and they'd decide, well, this is what we're going to sell for this next season. Yeah. Because this is what's selling you know, overseas wherever it was relevant for them, particularly sportswear. Um, and they go along to your dad and say, maybe a couple of thousand units of these.
2: Yeah. Is that the deal? Exactly that. And it was so, as manual as you just described in those yeah, days. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the big learnings or mistakes that he made along that journey that he's over not what not to do in this business?
0: Well, I guess in those days, that's the way you did do it, um, you know, because there was no computers, you couldn't take images, you couldn't get designs, you actually had to – because I remember I, I worked in a law firm for many years and we had a lot of rag trade clients and uh, they used to always – I mean, often I'd travel overseas with them for lots of reasons and uh, I would see them bring back suitcases full of samples um, and, uh, I used to wonder what the hell they do for, them. and actually that what they used to do is they were made to cut them, cut the samples so that they, when they went through customs here in Australia, that, uh, that it didn't look, cause in those days you couldn't bring stuff back. Mm. You had to pay duty. Exactly. You had to declare it. But if it was cut as a sample, that means you couldn't wear it. You couldn't sell it. You're just buying it as a sample. That's and, right. and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with borrowing other great ideas. I mean, to some extent we followed a lot of Europe. Yeah, and that, that that was that. I mean, I don't know about now. We probably, you guys are probably designing your own stuff and trying to be cutting edge and ahead of what's going on. But but you do know what's going on because you pick it up off of Instagram. You don't have to fly to. Uh, we yeah, know what's going on. But we are
2: n- we are not about fashion. Another key learning that he he took from that business, right? Because that was, was fashion. You're right. That was yeah. pure fashion. Reinventing the wheel every single season. And what ends up happening with the big retails, and it's happening today, is they get to end of season, they can't sell 30, 40% of their stuff, and they have to mark down and lose margin. And goes a lot of it goes what to the landfill. What happens to all that stuff? Either goes to the landfill, or they try and sell it, um, hock it out to people at discount prices. And serious? It's a, it's a, huge, it's a waste. huge huge, problem. Booty is all about essentials. It's the stuff that, that you wear. It's season agnostic, day in, day out, undies, socks, basic tees. Classics. Total classics. And we will never go outside of that. Yeah, that's Um, interesting. And and in that way, we avoid all of those problems. The other big learning that he had from those days was he was controlled by one big retailer or two or three. You know, 80% of his business was from two or three customers. And he never wanted that again because they control you. So this is where Elliot's dad, Neil, comes in. Neil was a pharmacist, amazing retailer at his chain of pharmacy stores. And um for, for how many? Thirty, thirty plus years. Yeah.
1: So my, my father came over from Perth. He was a he was a pharmacist um and uh essentially had pharmaceutical retail stores around Sydney, um, vital pharmacy. I don't know if you remember it. Um but essentially um similar to Sean, I remember growing up running around the retail store, you know, in the holidays, being the, doing doing the cashier, um, helping out wherever I could. Um, but essentially, my dad, while he was a trained pharmacist, his skill was always uh, the retail side of things, the the front of store.
0: Well, which is sort of what pharmacists. That's, they, I mean, I know they make good margins out of their prescriptions, but they're really they're really retailers. I mean, exactly. I mean, a good one is anyway. Yeah.
1: And this is where this gets interesting. So essentially, he realised that obviously it's all about retail, and uh, once he had uh, essentially explored all the pharmaceutical goods, he could he could retail the non non prescription ones. Um, he went looking for other things that he could sell in his pharmacy. And I think it was in the East garden shopping center. He saw in one of the $2 shops, there were, there was a sock stand. Um, and, and, uh, it was, it was essentially three for $10. Um, it was called socks and locks, um, really good quality stuff. And he thought, okay, this, this actually could work in the pharmacy. Um, it's a high moving consumer good that people need on impulse at checkout. So essentially he found out who the supplier was connected with them, got it in the store and it ended up being the most profitable square meter of his pharmacy.
0: Well, let, Let's break that down a little, because that's really important, your point there, Elliot, um, and, and your dad's finding. I mean, because we're going to talk about the combination of the two experiences in a second, but merchandising and per square meterage is really important, and um, understanding that concept. If you're a merchandiser, if you're in retail, um, first things first, merchandising, uh, or good merchandising, um, what your dad noticed as a pharmacist, <laughs> um, who probably studied... Uh, chemistry at university, um, and uh, no one ever taught me about marketing, Realise that uh, if it's at the point of sale, like a pair of socks, and it's a bit of a, an impulse buy, and, and it is something that we see as sort of disposable, I mean, like I'm always buying socks, throwing them out and shit like that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I see it's a bargain, um, I, I can't resist it. It's really hard to resist because another the other thing I can't resist is chocolates at the bloody uh, checkout. I mean, that's that's the worst thing when you go to a service station. I'm more, I always walk out with a Kit Kat. I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. Um. But that's merchandising is clever. Correct. So um, your dad, as a chemist, um, yeah. worked that shit out.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And and um, it was it was at that point um, he was actually getting out of pharmacy game. It was at a time where the landscape was changing. The discount uh, guys were coming in. There was a threat of Coles and Woolworths also starting up. So. It was a good time to get out, but essentially he realized that there was an opportunity here because the supplier of that sock stand, um, wasn't the most sophisticated in sales. And so, uh, my dad partnered with him and through his network, through the, um, Australian pharmacy guild, he knew all the pharmacists around Australia. So he then went into the distribution, distribution side, yeah. side of things.
0: I, I want to break it down a little bit further though, but just, just, just this is really interesting. I, I remember, um, back in, I had a girlfriend back in the let me get it right now, probably the 80s or something like that. And her job was she actually had a stand, her own stand, and uh, she was through in the back of the car. And she used to go around to all the pharmacies in Sydney, and greater Sydney, and actually she used to go to the country too. And on that stand they used to have hair clips and bloody combs and all sorts of things that women use for their hair, et And um, And she used to go to the pharmacies and she would actually talk them into installing one of these stands. And explain to them. Or she used to tell me about this. Uh, explain to them how much square meterage profit profitable something was, you know. And if you were paying so much rent for that square meter, this would be your most profitable line. And then she used to leave, supply them a stand full of inventory. Then each month she used to go back, or whenever she used to go back and replenish the inventory. Um, is that what you're talking about? Like because you know, like but like David Jones works like this. Most of the big retailers work this, like that these days. They're all basically real estate owners, and they rent out the space yeah. to whoever, whoever wants to sell the product. Yeah. And uh, it is actually getting down to the most profitable things or having profitable things per square meter. Yeah, And pharma-
1: pharmacists are like that. Absolutely. And especially when you're talking on, uh, to a pharmacist, they're already operating on pretty low margins. So yeah. if you can come into something that's got that in- uh, incremental margin for them- and it's fast-moving. And moves.
0: So that, but you better explain what fast-moving means because a lot of people listening to this don't know what you're talking about. Like fast-moving consumer goods, that's a terminology. Mm. But what does it mean?
1: Well, I think essentially it means um, those products that are constantly um, – Being replenished. Being replenished. Yeah, like toothpaste or th- things we run out of.
0: Yeah. Or, and socks, funnily enough, is sounds silly, but it's one of those things we run out of. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but like – when I do my washing, uh, at least once a week, I look, something happens, the sock gets eaten up by the yeah. machine. I don't know where the hell it goes. Maybe it goes down the drain. i got no idea. I'm always one sock missing. <laughs> if that, if the gym yeah. sock I'm talking about now. Yeah, yeah. So FMCG
1: product yeah. includes socks is what your dad found out. Yeah, and they need, but they need to be well-priced because yeah. these fast-moving consumer goods are key value items. So uh, if a consumer sees a fast-moving consumer good that's priced at a high level – they then will have a perception about your store that you are not a value-driven, well-priced store. So you, the fast-moving consumer goods are usually the things that are more on the low-margin side and then the stores will make more of their money on the long tail then.
0: Yeah, okay, got that. So Elliot's dad uh, worked this stuff out about merchandising and uh, – I, I guess you needed somebody. Well, tell me, so, why so, why this stuff? I so, mean, why yes. why get it in my hand now? Why why are these socks made out of?
1: What are they made out of? This is made out of bamboo. But I'll take you back to the story about how it okay. how how it continues. So essentially, you've got um, my dad's pushing the the sock stand, and he's he's now got it in. Twenty five hundred stores. Around so did he have Australia? someone yeah.
0: distributing it for him? Did he have someone walking around with a chemist and say, "Listen, you, you know, all these mates of the pharmaceutical guild. Look, would you like to put these in?"
1: Yeah. So um, he partnered with um, agents and merchandisers in each state in Australia. Um, so ha- who are they? How does that work? Uh, they're essentially um,
2: commissioned reps. Yeah. So essentially, you're you've got reps who run their own companies. They go into um, they have a network of pharmacies in their region. And they go um, and sell your product for you, and you pay them. Like my girlfriend used to sale. be; she yeah. was one of them. Yeah. She really? worked for them. There you go. She got paid per commission. And we still work with these guys today. Actually. Absolutely, and they're very important
0: because they have relationships with the actual. So the pharmacist sees her coming in; he, they would have known her.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, and and it's also important because a pharmacist is usually um, you know pretty pretty spread in terms of staff, and these people are looking at the stand and saying, "Well, that peg's missing. That peg's missing." that needs a refill and they're coming in and constantly refilling it, making sure it looks good because there's nothing worse than an empty stand. Bloody oath. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So, uh, they've, these commission reps, commission agents, uh, for any of the products we're talking about, it could be hair, hair combs or the, your socks, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they're actually doing a whole lot of jobs for the pharmacy. They're making sure that the stands in the good spot cause they all want to get the best spot. They, they, there's all the premium spots. They want to make sure that, and they're making sure the stand is full. And so it looks good. Yeah. And it's got the right product on it. Yeah. That sells and the products the good products are at the top and the
1: yeah.
0: less selling products maybe at the bottom. There could be some art and some science associated with this. And it's all well priced. Yeah. And it's and it's well merchandised. In other words, there's a sign on it which says, you know, these socks are made hundred percent of so-and-so cotton or whatever the case may yeah. be. yeah,
1: and, and it works because your incentives are aligned because they obviously earn money when the sales are made by the store as well. Yeah, so I don't own the
0: inventory. No. Uh, me, the pharmacist, I don't own the inventory.
1: The pharmacist buys the inventory. He buys the inventory. The, the agent doesn't own it but essentially they're uh, the ones that are responsible for getting the sales done yeah. in, the, in the pharmacy and then they take a clip.
0: They, they're incentivized. Mm-hmm. In yeah. The, so it's a sort of more of a variable cost. Okay, I, I get that. So now we're selling uh, you okay, know, so the, socks, so, what so happened? The,
1: so the socks is going around Australia. It's Become um, quite a successful uh, business, um, but essentially it's not my father's brand, and it's not really a brand. It's a commodity good, you know. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you see, it's it like now everybody you, else's stuff. If you see, if you go to chemists, we well, obviously you go anywhere. You'll see socks and locks. It's everywhere around Australia. Oh, still socks and so, locks. Socks and locks. Exactly. What locks? What's locks? I think it's just a nice. Pun and and enough, Oh, it's uh, no locks.
0: You don't, they're not selling locks or something. No, I'm no, going to no. take more notes when I go to one of these uh, wear, chemist <laughs> warehouses. That, that,
2: that's exactly the point. You wouldn't have noticed it because it's not a brand. It wasn't a recognizable brand. And that's where my dad came in. So, dad had retired and he got itchy feet and he came in and he, um, he said to Neil, who was his best friend for 20 years, he's like... That's Elliot's dad, yep. Elliot's dad. He oh, they're, said, be, they're mates anyway. Oh, we've been, mate, we grew up together. We've been best, right. best family friends for 30 years doing something called Pasta Night on a, every fourth Sunday with five families. So we've, we've, we're have we brothers and they're brothers. Um, and uh, dad came in and said, look, I'm bored. I'm looking for things to do. You've got a genius. Did your dad
0: sell his business or just, yeah, 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 he sold right.
2: the business. He and did your, your dad sell out. his pharmacy? Yeah, yep, yeah. okay. And right. he was doing the socks thing. Yeah, and dad came over and said, "Look, I know clothing. Let me go and find you. A pro- you you've you've discovered that in this channel you can sell non-pharmacy goods. So yeah. yeah, Elliot's dad Neil. Yeah, he he had good distribution. Elliot's dad had distribution. Yep, and a different uh, a, a channel where he could sell something that was different. Yeah, that was, okay. it was unique. Right. Yep. Totally. Dad had the clothing background, and he knew what it was like to um, supply successful brands, not run successful brands at that point. So Dad came to Neil and he said, "Look, Neil, let me go and find something that fits this same model, but we can we can build a brand and give the consumer in a pharmacy who cares about their health, their wellness, and generally as a result the wellness of the planet." So, was it, how many years ago is this? This is in 2012.
0: So, is this around the time when
2: um, health and wellness and all that sort of stuff kicked off? I mean, we've been exceptionally lucky, and business is filled with a lot of luck and a lot of hard work and skill. Well, but someone recognized health and
0: wellness. So, I mean, they read it.
2: Yeah, we've been on that wave for sure. Yeah, so it's around about 2012.
0: That's sort of, I mean, it's always been around, but like it started to become heavily sort of um, franchised, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. but
1: now the tailwind is there. Yeah, yeah,
0: 100% now. Also, you've got the online
2: environment now, but like, uh, so the so dad cruises over to Asia and he starts looking for something different, some product, some, something. He doesn't know what he's looking for. And he discovers this bamboo viscose yarn and he cannot believe how soft it is. That's where it all started. He just hadn't felt such a, he'd been in manufacturing for 30 years and he hadn't felt something so soft. Did so f- bamboo, where did he find it? Well, how did he, f- he went to, there's a lot of um, fairs. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Shows. For, yeah, shows, trade fairs, yeah, think, yeah. et Yeah, yeah.
0: So any, like, I just want, sorry anyone who's listening, these fucking trade shows are so important, yeah, like so important, doesn't matter whether it's clothing or whether it's uh, electronics or technology, et cetera. They are so like you learn so much shit,
2: yeah. and it's all in one place. And we, yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's on the um in on the product development side or on the sales side. We go now to Expo West, which is the biggest health and wellness expo in the world over in Anaheim in California every year. And we exhibit there, but we also just go and just talk to people and learn from people. And there's talks, and they're unbelievable. Yeah, they're. they're, they're, I mean, I I implore you if you're,
0: you know, involved in trying to build up a new product, that you should attend wherever that that happens to be. Like big ones in America, they're great. I I mean, especially when it comes to technology, I've been to a few myself. But by the way, if you've got a product. You've got to tell the world about it. And I mean, everyone keeps talking about the social medias, but that's great. But I mean, there's no better place than at a trade fair. Yeah. So your dad, Sean, has found this beautiful product.
2: So dad discovers this yarn and he comes back to Neil and says, look, you're doing something great. Let's do it better. So they started off with undies and socks. We had nine SKUs. They started very, very, Nine SKUs means
0: what? Nine product lines? No,
2: actually three product lines. Three product Three size. sizes. Three sizes, they, okay. they were so strict about not introducing um, too much. Yeah, because yeah. Because it's obviously risky that they didn't even do small, medium, large. They did small and medium and medium, large across three products. So it was actually six, not nine. Right. And they did a classic bikini and midi brief um, and one of our other um, women's underwear lines. And one sock. And they put that into a couple of Neil's uh, good mates' pharmacies. And lo and behold, it rocketed out the door. The way that they did that was the undies were in a box like this. Yep. And that goes back to our square meter discussion. Right. So, so And by the way, we're talking about now about marketing packaging. So I want to come
0: back to that in a second. So we'll, we'll go to the break. But I mean, I've got the socks in front of me. I had the advantage of getting a t-shirt from you guys some t- time ago. I, I must say it is it does feel very soft and um, wearable. To be frank with you, I, I haven't worn, I wore it, I tried it on, I haven't worn it because I just, you know, like I'm one of those people who just keeps wearing the same shit all my life, but um, but I will try it again. We'll, we'll switch you over to our shit soon. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, Because I just don't want to throw stuff away, that's all. Because I mean, i wear it until it's got holes in it and it's ready to be thrown. Even then i still wear it. But I, I'm just feeling the socks here, and they're, they're, they are beautiful and soft.
2: Those are our, um, are our crew boot socks. So they're actually made for winter and the colder months. But the, the great thing about Bamboo and this way it worked in pharmacies was it's got a whole lot of health and wellness qualities. We're going to come
0: back to that. We're going to go to the break. And when we come back from the break, I actually want to talk about the product, the features of the product. I want to talk about the pricing. And I want to talk about how you market it in terms of your packaging. You know, that's really important. That's pretty good packaging I'm looking at right now. And that tells me the story straight up. We'll talk about that. We'll go to the break, and we'll come back. Okay, we're back from the break and uh, I'm talking to Sean and Elliot. Their two dads kicked off this business called Booty, which is um, bamboo-based Basic essentials. Basic essentials, which means you know, lounge wear, pajamas,
2: socks, t-shirts, gym wear, with no embellishments. Well, you'll never see a brand or a like big hyper colours and marks and stripes and stuff on our stuff. Good, because all that stuff shits me anyway. I'm, us I, too, I, as you can I, I like see, it. we're, also, we're wearing the same thing. Mike. I just want to wear. It. I don't.
0: I look. I have to be honest. With you, I don't want to walk around advertising someone's stuff. And I, you know, we know the brands that make you do this when you buy it because they're not paying me. I'm not going to pay to advertise someone's stuff. Forget it. Um, I mean, I got to wear something plain.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny. Philosophically, it also presents a marketing challenge for us because we have hundreds of thousands of people wearing our stuff, but no one knows it because they're not walking around with it on the street. But that that's deep in our philosophy. We want you to be comfortable in your own skin. We want you to be you. Um, and we want you to be comfortable wearing our product. And, and that means like, we don't need you to tell the world that you're wearing our product. It's all about fostering our brand, fostering our community. And and that's how we've grown.
1: And, and not just that, the, the product is usually below several layers because, uh, the lion's share of what we sell is the underwear. So even if we wanted to show it in terms of the branding, most people. <laughs> or it's worn at it. home
0: and no one else is going to see it. Exactly. Like, exactly. So uh, okay. how did you two boys get involved in the business? I mean, <laughs> the sons of the dads. I mean, in 2012, uh, here we are 28 years later. Yeah. It's not that longer. ago. Well, are your dad
2: still involved in the business? Very much so. Yeah. Right. yeah. So yeah. T- 2013 launched, the like sold the first pair of undies. Yeah. Um, 2014, uh, we were in probably by that stage 200 uh, pharmacies um, because of, of Neil's hard work and, and, and uh, network. And they came to me, I was doing some other stuff, and they came to me and said, hey, you know a bit about technology. Can you, like, we hear this thing about online. Can you, you know, help us work it out? So I was doing some other stuff, and I, I, I spun up a, a crappy website at that stage um, in my spare time. And lo and behold, what I found was all the metrics were amazing. Like, we weren't selling, there, there's a whole lot of metrics in e-commerce, average transaction value, um, conversion rate, et cetera um what i was finding was our our atv so we were selling not one not two but like four or five units in an order of nothing no marketing no nothing and what what i realized was happening going and speaking to customers was people would be in line at a pharmacy they'd see our booty stand and they would uh see the undies and they go oh that's interesting bamboo that's kind of unique They'd feel it because we got a little fabric swatch on the stand. they go, oh, that's comfortable. $12.95 for a pair of a pair of Brookies. Let me, uh, you know, I'll give it a go while I'm waiting at the checkout. And what happens when you buy a pair of undies that you love? You go and buy one for every day of the week. So they'd search us online and they'd go and buy. So I immediately saw this opportunity. And it took about three or four um, tries of our dads asking me to join the business to help push this along. And on the fourth time I joined, so that was 2015. And, uh, what I brought to the business was obviously that e-commerce, uh, technology piece, but also kind of operational diligence and structure and, you know, strategy, which I, which I'd learned from my background. So I I spent about 50% of my time building the e-commerce business, which was zero back then 2014, 2015.
1: Um, today it's about 70% of revenue.
0: Right. And, but you still need the physical outlets,
2: because that's a great, we are so so
1: grateful. Absolutely. And, and that's, I think in today's day and age, when you're running a website, a lot of people try to do direct to consumer websites. So you start from, from the website and no physical presence, but essentially because, um, a lot of advertising dollars have moved online, the, um, return rates on advertising have gotten much lower and the bids on certain terms have gotten much higher. So it's harder to make a profitable direct-to-consumer company if you don't have the physical presence. So this multidimensional approach that we have allows us to bring down your um, customer acquisition cost um, for because we've got these organic stands in you know fifteen fifteen hundred stores around Australia that act as little billboards for ourselves. Essentially, we have fifteen hundred stores,
2: but we don't pay rent. We don't pay yeah. staff. Well, that's the killer normally because someone they feel as though they've got
0: they got. Fifty lines or fifty products within their range, which means they've got to have their own store, which means they've got to pay rent, and the rent kills you. Whereas you don't pay any rent for your little square meter or whatever it is. No, pay. I mean, we, we pay
1: margin.
0: You pay margin, which is a variable cost. Correct. Yeah, so it's much better. Yes, you have got the best of both worlds. You got online, and you got fifteen hundred. So, can I just talk to you about the product itself? So, there's a number of products here in front of me. we have got you know, stuff you wear to bed. What do you call it? Bedwear or something. I don't know you call Lounge, it. Yeah, sleep Lounge wear, sleepwear. Lounge wear, sleepwear. Um, and uh, there's something here for kids, uh, onesies. And you've got men's undies over there, I can see. I've got T-shirts there. And I, and I, I was touching a pair of socks earlier on. Um, w- what about, say, um, compression wear? Do you make compression wear?
1: Yeah, we've started in the, um, in the active line, but we're not yet into the uh, real performance wear for for men, so I wouldn't say. What about
0: for women? Do you have like what do you call the the stuff they wear to go to yoga? What do you yeah, got, we, tights? we
1: we have leggings and tights. Legg- for, leggings for, and tights. Yeah, there's, okay, there's, there's a pair right there.
0: Right. Okay. And are that, that, in terms of tights, are these proper compression? No, so they're, they're just. We are
2: not trying to compete with the technical performance wear guys. We're trying to to make your. Um, they're perfect for yoga. Um, they're perfect to wear too. The, to the yoga class or gym and at the yoga right. class or gym. so in terms of your how many products do you now have what so are? we have four collections um you touch on them there we started with our basics range so we got booty basic which is men's and women's basic essentials undies socks t-shirts leggings etc um we then launched booty baby because all of the people all the mums mostly that were buying um our clothes were saying it's so soft i'm wrapping my baby around it so we launched booty baby so that's, uh, the same, the same beautiful yarn, um, for zero newborns to two years old. Um, we launched then booty active. Um, and we've recently, uh, just over the last six months launched booty lounge, which is lounge and sleepwear, because the same thing, our customers were saying, Hey, I wear your t-shirt all day. And then I come home and take it off and put on another one. Cause it's so comfortable. And I mean, w- I mean, oh, Peter Alexander's got some sort of brand that, um, seems to be
0: dominant. I see it at airports and see it everywhere. Um. I mean, I guess you're taking on people like Peter Alexander.
1: Yeah, I'd say, look, there's there's several incumbents in the industry. Um, but essentially, we have the the end goal, or we call it our our BHAG, our big hairy, audacious goal to become the most loved everyday sustain, sustainable basics brand in the world. Um, and we're we're still in the early days of that journey. But essentially, when you go to buy underwear or socks and and obviously it's different for a male and female, but Probably in your mind you're thinking Bonds, Jockey, Haynes, Calvin Klein, a couple of others. Yeah. Like we want to ensure that booty is in that consideration set and high up so that when you when you open your drawer um, in a couple of years' time, it's filled with, with booty. Well, that's funny because, I mean, I wear T-shirts. I
0: wear Calvin Klein T-shirts. The only reason I wear them because the fabric's good. It's got a little bit of stretch in it. I can wear it to the gym. I can wear a white T-shirt to bed and I and I don't wear white T-shirts. You might just wear a black T-shirt at the gym or, or I can wear it here. I've got one on now. Um, and, and, or, I mean, I've, I've had difficulty finding long sleeve t-shirts, um, you know, because nobody seems to want to make them, but, and in the winter I wear a long sleeve t-shirt with a short sleeve t-shirt on top we'll, of it.
1: We'll get you some. So the, you're yeah, the long sleeve no, t-shirt. I'm going to take mine off. No, no, right I'm not going to wear <laughs> it. We've never done this in an interview,
0: right? Here you go. <laughs> Thanks very much. What size is it? How long have you been wearing it for? So, <laughs> <laughs> and where'd you lounge last night? So, but thank you. But well, it's funny because I haven't been able to find anything. I used to be able to buy, um, a long, um, Calvin Klein used to do it. So uh, my question to you is how do you replace that? How do you get me to, apart from what you've just done now, but I mean, how do you get me to, uh, start putting booty in my drawers instead of Calvin Klein? Because that's, that's the deal, isn't it? Yeah. If you can start convincing people like me to change over.
1: Yeah, of course. And I think the first part is what Sean was mentioning before, in terms of awareness. You have to see it somewhere, and you have to try it somewhere to really get hooked into the brand. Because we know that it's all about the comfort of the product that really bring people in. But an additional point of that is that we are sustainable, and and I think in today's day and age, um, the the tailwind of sustainability is huge. And when you can provide that to a customer,
0: what does that mean? Sustainable? I mean that that could mean many things. What do you mean by sustainable? Relative to, to say, I don't know whatever I got on, now, I got a cotton t-shirt on.
2: You know, I think a lot of the big brands are jumping on the sustainability bandwagon because it's the thing at the moment. Mm. But for us, it's really about being considered and thoughtful from supply chain all the way through to when you get your garment. So everything from ethic ethics around our um, our manufacturers and working very closely to, with them. To Explain make sure that how that works. Their labor, fair pay, non abuse, um, no child labor, etc. How do you? How do you? I mean, all right. That's the story you want to tell, but how how do you assure that's a difficult one? We how keep do? a very close relationship with a very small amount of suppliers. Um, work very closely with them, and also ensure that there's external certification on every single one of those suppliers and the and the factories that they use. Yeah, are you saying
0: to me, um, there is it? I didn't know this, but is there a, such a concept that there's a certification as sure. to something?
2: Absolutely. There's multiple. So, um, at a consumer level, I can read it or something. Absolutely. Is it so on the label
0: to... or something? Or it's on our, it's, it's, it's on, our on our box.
2: You can also go to our website and there's a page up there which shows all our certifications.
0: Right. Cause that, that's interesting. That hasn't, we don't think about that much. We don't talk about that much. You know what I mean? Yeah, we should. Um, uh, it's, we, we, should, society should, but it's not a, it's not a discussion.
2: Uh, it, it's definitely growing. I'd like um, to be sustainable. There's, but there's I, unfortunately been some catastrophes, um, with some of the big Bigger um, retailers supply chains over the last couple of years, which have brought a lot of light to it, which we think is a great thing. Um, but it goes beyond that for us. It's also about the way that we transport goods. So, so really focusing on no out of stocks because what out of stocks means you have to air freight. Air freight has a greater carbon footprint than shipping. So, making sure we're in stock all the time, and that's obviously got benefits for the consumer. Everything to our packaging, um, we use no plastic across our packaging
1: at all. That kills me. So, and bamboo itself, of course, is is one of the one of the biggest sustainability points in the sense that it uses ten percent of the water um, that cotton uses in order to grow. It's highly big renewable deal in Australia. Exactly. It's highly renewable. Um, it's self regenerating. Is it actually bamboo? Actually, bamboo that but, yeah,
0: long, bamboo. hard stick. That yeah. There's a lot of forms of ban- bamboo. I mean, what are we talking about here? Like
2: uh, just. Like uh, there's the skinny ones that, or the big thick ones that grow at about a meter a day. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's a specific um, it's a specific family. I forget the exact of name of yeah. bamboo, but it's exactly the one that's in your mind. It's the one that grows up to a meter a day, which obviously is great for the environment yep. because you don't have to pump it with it's a whole lot of water. It's just a grass. Not just a grass, but it's a grass. It's it's a grass. It's yeah. organically grown and and. You say it's a grass. You mow the lawn. You you cut bamboo and it regrows. You don't yep. have to re-harvest it every season, which is hugely, hugely labor intensive, material intensive, etc.
0: Right? I've I got bamboo at my farms and um, just because I like the look of it, and uh, it's ridiculous how fast it mm. grows. And I do nothing to it. Mm. Zero. Mm. They don't have to put any fertilizer. Nothing. Mm. It yeah. just
2: fucking grows. So that's the root of it for us. It's it's having a thoughtful approach to first product and what materials can we use and. You know, we, bamboo's been our hero up until who now. the hell worked if this bamboo could be turned
0: into a T-shirt? I know, like, it's incredible. But wh- who, who did that? Well, where do they come from?
2: Um, dad, Dad's done a lot of work into this. And essentially what they do is they get, the, they get the long stick, they cut it down, they grind it into a pulp, they mix it with the solution, and then they spin it into a yarn and it comes out this beautiful soft wow. thing. And what about in terms of colour? In sustainability sense, is, is your colour... Have you gone so far as to try and get the colours to be sustainable? Yeah, we use all sustainable dyes, of course, but also because we're a basics range, we're black, white, light yeah. mile, dark mile, that's it. It's
1: it's it's very much got the um, the makings of what's um, a bit of a term right now is the slow fashion movement. So you've got the fast fashion guys that are churning out styles. Kills me, they throw so much shit away. It's exactly. ridiculous. I mean, their stuff's so cheap. Yeah. And they fill
0: the stores up with it, like literally every two months they've got a new range. And I know that they don't sell it. I mean, especially at the moment when the stores were empty, people were going to the stores and they're throwing the
1: shit away. Yeah. Um, I hate it. I hate the thought of so, it. So there's a real trend towards basic essentials and the slow fashion movement. Um, essentially people buying less but of better quality. Um, and and, and this, this really kind of addresses that. So a standstill
0: is not just the materials that go into making this, but it's the fact that it lasts. Correct. One of the reasons it lasts or a sustainable because it lasts is because it's not fashion <laughs> and it's uh, you know there's not ten colours there's there's no reds and pinks and blues and greens it's you know a colour that is like a classic colour black grey white tend to sort of go with everything yeah
1: That's and right. we're not we're not chucking things out we're not we're not burning products like yeah 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 so stuff. you're
0: quite happy people keep your product for a long period of time hundred percent yeah 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 hundred yeah, yeah, percent yeah. I mean your your business model relative to the fast fashion. Is that uh, the fast fashion business model? Is that people keep turning the shit over because they, and you actually make it so that it doesn't last and you make it so it is it isn't only fashionable for a period of time because, and then someone looks at it the next day and says, shit, that's out of fashion. I've got to wear, got to get the next thing. That's their business model. Mm. Your business model is diametrically opposed to that. Correct. Your business model is, I want you to buy, I want you to keep it, and you're going to keep wearing it for a long time. That's
1: right. But we also have the business model that you will always need underwear. Doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter what it is. You one well, way actually
0: underwear. wears out. Funnily enough, I mean, you know, like you you got to turf it. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So so you, you can you can
2: compost out actually. Can you Probably really in the compost? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that right? Yeah.
2: So, with the worms. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. That's myself, cool. That's interesting. Mm. Okay, I've got a compost bin at
2: home. It needs a bit
0: a bit extra compost. So uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, okay. No, I, I'm not philosophically. I, I quite like that. I mean, it appeals to me. Um, but that's a survey one. How do you get your awareness out there. I mean, how are you telling your story apart from coming on my podcast, mm. which is going to tell it to hundreds of thousands of people? Um how how do you tell your story? Cuz it's the story that's really important. The story is going to help me buy it apart from, I mean it's brilliant that it's at the checkout mm. in pharmacies. Mm. Where else have you got it?
1: Believe it or not, we we actually haven't done a huge amount of marketing to date. Um, that's
0: right because I've checked it out. Yeah. I looked at it, I looked at looked it up. I've looked you up, you know, and and I did it early this morning. So how are you going to sort of uh, sort of turbocharge this?
1: Good question. I mean, I think it, 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 we are at that point where we um, we've, we've proven the model, and we're so confident in the ability to push it further. Um, but as I said, we've grown organically up up to up until now. So um, going forward, it's about further honing in on the brand and um, essentially bringing our community further together. The the um, we have such a love for the brand, and there's such a tailwind behind the sustainability movement. Bring those
0: two together, though. Like, let's say, how do you get assassin bide moment where you
1: get, um, you know,
0: one of the Kardashians wearing it in New York, you know, or somehow telling everybody a photograph of them at home with your gear on. I mean, yeah. how do you get that? Sass and so, so we're, moment.
1: we're at the um we're at the inflection point now where we're actually thinking. so uh, up until now, the only marketing we've done has been very direct um online, basically um Google, Instagram, Facebook, that kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, I
0: looked at your Instagram stuff yeah. I mean it's it's okay, but like it's not gonna turn me over.
1: you know, I'm not gonna jump wow, fuck I got to get that shit. yeah. so so we're at the inflection point now where we're putting together the plan of how do we really
0: so are you talking about like now influencers?
1: Yeah. 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 So, that, what sort of person would, in an ideal world, who, who would? I'll oh give yeah. you an example. Actually, our our um our partners in America, um, there are distributors there. They work with a PR firm, and um, the PR firm has this store where influencers, celebrities can come and try on products. Yep. Um, and uh, lo and behold, a few days later, um, on her Instagram, Emily Ratajkowski. Explain um, that one. <laughs>
2: she, I didn't know it either, Mark. She,
1: she was um, <laughs> she became famous on the the Robin Thicke um music video um blurred lines, blurred lines. Um, is incredibly good looking
2: woman, <laughs> and she's got twenty six million followers what on the Instagram, fuck? and she posted a video wearing a booty bra. All oh, right, very very clear. And now,
0: can you explain how that all works? So, like, I mean, so y- you understand it, but like, we we got a lot of people listening yeah. to this. Yeah, there are stores in America.
1: Well, this is a PR firm in the states that um, our our partners in America work with, and one of the ways that the PR firm gets awareness for their brands to um, people of influencers is they have this um, this store, this cool store in LA uh, that 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 celebrities and influencers can come to to get products for free, try them on, um, and if they like them, they can then start working with the brand. Right, um, and essentially. Booty uh, is promoted in that store, and so, uh, do you have to pay for that?
0: Yes, you you pay you
1: a you pay a retainer to the PR firm, right. to be in that store, right? Okay. Uh, I mean, just
0: so everyone gets a bit of an idea, like is that an expensive retainer? I'm mean, you got to pay hundred grand or twenty grand or no?
1: I um I believe it's about five grand a month, us
0: five thousand yeah. a month. Yeah. So and and you just send your stuff over, and the, the celebrities go to these stores and hang out, and they probably get a, get in there for free, and they can try and wear or take away whatever they want. There's no obligation but if they like it, they can put it up on their own stories. They put it, they,
1: they put it up on their stories, and, and um, for us, it's amazing because it's it was completely organic in the sense that um, if, as a brand, you want to work directly with um, Emily Radikowski to promote your product, you're talking six figures easily. Right. But what happened was there was a tailwind off the back of that. Even We didn't
2: even have to push it that hard, but... The, there was a People magazine article about Emily Ratajkowski wearing booty. There was another article. So all of this, it kind of fuels the fire once the influencer thing starts getting. So did,
0: well, can I ask you this, Sean? Did, once you saw she put this up on Instagram, did you then have like a PR machine here to get behind it and start pushing it out everywhere, make sure People magazine wrote about it? What, what did you do? Or just it catch you
1: unawares? Um, well, essentially, again, you got to be careful with what you do with it then because she's not officially supporting your brand and there's a whole bunch of um legalities there's rules around that yeah Yeah. exactly but um the the pr firm um in america that our our partners work with did um do whatever they could and essentially it got it into people's magazine then um and now there's talk about what else we can we can do with it it's a bit of a sensitive time at the moment because of everything that's going on in america so they've held back a little bit on on the hard push um but but it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. And how there. do
0: you support it, Sean? Like your expertise, like how did you, how do you support something like that with like landing pages, et cetera? I mean, like, and, and, or understand the metrics and, you know, and what worked and what didn't work and then how to boost it. I mean, what yeah, are, so what we're, you... we're lucky.
2: We've got a, we've got a whole team around that now. We've got a head of online. We've got a whole creative team who are working off the back of those kind of things. But really it's about having a, it's staying ahead of the curve as well. Yeah, totally. Using. Using the metrics, pulling different levers um, to take advantage of those opportunities and others. Um, one challenge that an opportunity like that brings is having enough stock to actually sell off the back of that. And not so using I think, air freight. Think, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think we sold what was it, like eight thousand bras off the back of that post or something. It's crazy, and they ran out of stock. It was. It was in this is in America, or yeah, these are our American partners. So we have distribution agreements with people that. Um, we give the license to overseas, right? So we run, we run brand and product, and they sell the product. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, but they're, they're doing it in America for you. So, how many countries are you selling into?
0: We're
1: in about seventeen now, through um, five key distributors.
2: Right. So yeah. the Americas. The, the Americas.
1: The guys in America. They they um they they run um America Canada and the UK. Yep. Um, then we have um, the Scandinavia region. Yep. Then we have a, a distributor in Japan, a distributor in Korea, um, and then we have a distributor in South Africa as well.
2: Wow. And New Zealand.
1: And New Zealand, of course. We,
2: we
0: can't forget New Zealand. And no. and, 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 you, and you guys manage it here in Australia. So well, what are the next steps for you? Well, where, where are you going to go? to? I mean, I guess you're not going to try and do too many more product lines because it gets a little bit clumsy after a while, doesn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, it does. I, I think, look, I, I mentioned before, brand marketing huge for us um, in terms of next step because we know well, we've got something extremely special here and we know there's a huge tailwind of, of in the sustainability Well, movement. Talk about that now,
0: tailwind. you yes. had COVID. People been staying home, haven't yeah. been going to the shops. Correct. What the fuck happened? I mean, have they gone and looked, have they gone searching, looked shit up and uh, all of a sudden you're getting more work through, more, more orders through this period?
1: Yeah, look, so it, it's almost guilty um, to talk about, but I, I think COVID actually did. Uh, do some wonders for our business. And
0: lots of other businesses, by the way. That's great.
1: We were lucky that uh, the, the lounge and sleepwear line was relaunching um, at about the time that we all went into lockdown. And, of course, people want to be comfortable um, when they're at home. When Especially they're when they're at a Zoom call. You... Ah, absolutely. It <laughs> doesn't matter what's on top, but at least, you know, yeah, what's on bottom, you yeah, be you wear your shirt and tie and just yeah. wear whatever
0: you like. Wear nothing underneath you want. I mean, yeah. But and what you're doing here is you're promoting a product
2: that actually... Um, fulfills that sort of comfort
1: absolutely we we're also
2: really lucky that our wholesale channel actually remained open we were one of the many few you know we're in 40 percent pharmacies 40 natural because they're because they're, cause they're, they're, cons- they're considered essential services yeah. yeah so that that channel remained open for us as well so our wholesale could keep firing could keep pushing and then online i think we followed a trend that was a greater trend where online picked up
0: so, what would you have picked up? Like, in terms, of, I mean, I guess you got a fair idea where your percentages are. You know, would have you had a twenty percent pickup on online, or just, or as a particular items or product
2: lines? We had about a almost a two hundred percent pickup. Whoa! We had some of our best our best months, but I, so you, I, I, you I feel do. embarrassingly safe. Yeah. I do, and I want to caveat that because at the beginning of COVID, we got early wind of it because of our supply. The, it started in Asia, right? Yeah, so yeah. Our supply chain, so we got early wind. And we started planning for the worst, and we did a lot of things. We looked at our cash cash flow. We reforecast. We um, put all our our entire team went to four days a week so that we could cut. And we are in, unbelievably grateful to our employees for that. Everyone's since come back up, but we all took a hit. And what ended up happening was we we planned for the worst, and we actually had a pretty good couple of months.
1: And, and and I'll also say that's hugely credited to what our dads have built. In a sense that a lot of businesses today they start with the brand and marketing first, and and let the profit or acquisition of their business come later. Where we were profitable from day one, so when uh, when a pandemic hits and and shit really hits the fan, um, we we aren't in a position where we're necessarily going to be wiped out so quickly. We can kind of
0: you got a balance sheet, yeah, 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 and and you've accumulated something.
1: We okay. had the cash
2: flow to get yeah. us through, and we were always confident that we'd come out the other side.
0: Subject so um, is not going in for ten years along those lines, and you, and you're not reliant on people travelling from overseas to buy your product. Uh-huh. I mean, it, actually, the the other way, people stay at home, they're more likely to buy your product.
1: I think we're also just lucky that um, we we are online, and and um, because of all the great work that Sean did, our online website is is essentially, I believe, second to none, and. So the trend of consumers switching online, um, as you saw, has been accelerated. So um, as an example, you know, my mother was not one that always shopped online before, but obviously COVID forced her to. She doesn't really want to go back to to not shopping online because she loves it and it's efficient and it works. So you've seen a whole swath of the population who didn't even consider online shopping before moving online. And so in terms of searches... There's been a big sort of... Compulsory education. Absolutely. It's a macroeconomic thing. Something you trend. could never have
0: done. I mean, none of us could ever no. educated people in this regard to sort of get them to, to to turn them over to buying online. You're
2: saying it's been a modern industrial revolution as yeah, yeah. a result of COVID and it's just, been, it's just been fast-tracked.
0: For some. For some. For many. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah for, for those who are clever enough to get on board or, or had that sort of business that they could do that. I, I mean... It's,
1: th- it's those industries that lent itself. So it's e-commerce, it's telehealth, it's um, education online... It's these that were that were growing at a certain clip that have now just absolutely been and were able to innovate.
0: There are so many people out there who are doing what you just said. They have gone oh, shit. Hang on, here's a moment. There's some change here, some structural change, which yeah. happens very rarely, maybe every ten years. How can I take advantage of that structural change? bit like you're thinking when you heard this was happening in Korea and China and everywhere else. When probably from your manufacturers, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, we were. So scared at the beginning. From a production perspective, we didn't know that we could actually get get our stuff over around the world to actually sell
0: So you it. had to innovate. Yeah. To, and you had well, to start
1: doing stuff. Well, I, I guess we just caught wind of there's a potential disruptor to all forms of the retail chain coming. It's just that the supply is at the very start and obviously the consumers at the end. So um it we was- We started
2: at supply and we went through and moved all the way through to the consumer. And how can we- how can we get ahead of the curve? How can we protect ourselves against this? How can we innovate um, to make sure that we get through this and actually thrive through it? And, and what ended up happening was we were able to thrive.
0: And that, that's to me, look, we keep getting hit up about all the bad stories and there are lots of bad stories and I really do feel bad for those people. I mean, I, I empathise with them and I sympathise with them as well. But equally, what we've got to do is we've got to celebrate those people who have done innovative things and have come out of this well. I, I feel guilty, you feel guilty because our sales are up. Um, We don't like to see our friends and or our fellow small business owners and business owners suffer. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to see anybody suffer. I mean, I want everyone to do well, if that was at all philosophically possible. Um, But at the same time, we've got to celebrate when people do a bloody good job, which is what you guys have done. So we shouldn't feel bad.
2: Don't yeah. feel bad. But also feel really grateful, I think. Grateful is important. For, That's what you should for feel. For us, it's, um, our dads have set this business up for success. There's no doubt about that. And um, their learnings of 30, 40 years of, of career experience where they've had some hard knocks allowed them to set this business up so that we could come in and provide our expertise as young, dynamic, entrepreneurial, growth-minded people. But we would never be enjoying the same success as we are Today and hopefully there's a lot more to
0: come. But Sean, it's symbiotic. Your dads are probably saying, "Thank God those two boys got involved in the business." Yeah,
1: so essentially the, the, it's symbiotic, feeding um, it off each the other. The analogy is often that if we're if we're steering the Titanic there at the front looking for icebergs.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I get that, and uh, and <laughs> you guys are out of the back
2: singing. Let's get on with it. <laughs>
0: they, well, no, I, I always give everyone a, an opportunity to ask me a question. So you guys got a question for
2: me? Yeah, we do actually. And um, one thing that we're grappling with and seeing a lot of these days is. Um, that dichotomy between, um, profitability and growth, right? So do you grow a business sustainably, um, profitable from day one, grow slower, or do you burn cash? Do you lose money and then hope for the big payday one day because you're in many more people's, uh, homes and it's something that we're grappling with all the time. Um, and at this inflection point, it's interesting to hear you. Well, and, and
1: I'll just add, it's, it's very much in the consumer products world because it's a, it's a market share land grab of, often. Um, and then a, a lot of these brands will, will grab market share and then hope for the big acquisition by a large incumbent because they don't have as much research and development themselves. So it's, it's whether you really, um, go through full throttle on, on that, that marketing brand side and let the, essentially the profit come later, or do you continuously chip away day by day, hoping to become that big brand in a longer timeline, which we're very confident we can do.
0: So I always say when you're in business, you've got to work out. Right from the very beginning, everything you do has got to be about what you propose your exit to be. Now, what I mean by that, your exit is either you are building your business for sale one day or, or to be listed, or you're building your business because you want to do what your dad's did. You want to hand your business over your kids and it's a family business and therefore it's going to be a dividend-based business, which means profitability. Kerry's view was we build this business to sell because we're in an industry which is full of behemoths, massive giant organizations who are always looking for points of difference, but they can't build it themselves. You know, like a bank, for example, could never build a nimble, fast uh, market growth, market share type business like Wizard, because banks just can't do that. Um, They just don't have the ability to do that. In in our case, Kerry Packer took the view that when we, General Electric came along, that that's another good example. General Electric could never build a new business. Never, because they're just too big. They don't have the ability to be fast. They're not entrepreneurial like you guys. So, Kerry took the view as if you've got a rising tide and that's your objective day one is to build for sale or build for listing, then you take market share as much as you possibly can. You put your ears back, your bum up, and you go 100 miles an hour. Alternatively, if you want to build a business that is sustainable as opposed to the product being sustainable, it's sustainable, something you want to leave to your kids and your family, then you build a business nice and slow and you just keep building up your retained earnings, your retainings, your retained earnings. So, for me, it's about picking day one where you want to, where, how you want to exit this. Do you want to exit it by succession, family, or do you want to exit by sale? If you want to exit by sale, and if the tide is rising for you right now, take as much money off the table as you possibly can. In other words, build your market share, go for it, go hard. But you better make sure you know who's your buyer. You better make sure that you're building your business for that type of buyer. I don't mean the particular individual, but that type of buyer. So, we're always building our business. For a challenger to come and take on the Australian banks, and we found General Electric, which is what they always wanted to do. We always knew that General Electric wanted to own a bank or something like a bank in Australia. We didn't think we'd get them, but we, we that was our that was our target. And what did they what did they need? they needed systems? They needed entrepreneurialship. They needed culture, things they can't build, and they needed market share. And that's what we did. And we just and I mean I had a media partner, so that helps me build my brand. But I had a media partner. So I, I always wanted to have a media partner because I didn't want to spend money on media because it's too expensive. And I didn't really know how to do it to either, to be honest with you. So I had someone like that telling me, this is how you do it and this is where you spend it and this is the best price you can get it for. Because, you know, I'm advertising with them and they get me best price. So it's a comp- I know it's a complex answer, but it's your starting point is, are you there for sale one day and you might want to sell out and you know, it doesn't mean you two don't have to go in business. You go back into business and do something else for that matter. Um, or you just might want to rest in five or 10 years. So to be honest with you, it's those personal outcomes you want to achieve and when you want to achieve them. And then you go hard based on that. Does that Thank work you. for you? Yeah.
1: yeah. Very helpful. Fantastic,
0: ahead, I, I love this. I, I really love the products. It's a, we didn't get to talk about your packaging. Look, I have to tell anybody's listening to this, go and have a look at this packaging. If you go to a pharmacy and, this packaging is very good. It's it's actually quite subtle. It's meant to be touched and looked at. It's ex- got good explanations on the side. It talks about its um you know its proposition, its philosophy. It's pretty cool. And this is marketing. This is real merchandising for me. Mm-hmm. Packaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's inside is really important too. That's also merchandising because that's what what it feels like when it's on, etc and how's it where.
1: But this this is the starting point, and probably the starting point's on the stand. Well, it's it all goes back to that most profitable square meter in someone's store, and obviously to make it that most profitable square meter, you've got to have stuff that can sell itself. So we obviously need to invite the customer in through the stand, and we have side panels that really have an amazing uh, storytelling aspect to it, and invite them in to to essentially get that first impulse buy, and then we know that they come back. From then you all. yeah, guys, well done. I love booty cool stuff.
2: Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks, Mark. (laughs)